family. If you have your Bible, please open it to Judges chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Do you really believe the words of that song? That the Lord is sovereign over your life. Do you really believe it? We can sing it, but in the really in the dark places of our life, is it really true? Will it be true tomorrow? Every person here, including myself, we we all have you know broken places in our life. Each of us are going, have gone through our share of, of broken experiences in life. And some of you may be currently in one. I don't know, but you, but you know where you are. Some of us may be under some discipline from the Lord. You may be experiencing some broken relationship, a broken career, a job, broken health, broken self-image. But we all know we have these places. And the good news is that that the Lord God meets you in your broken places. He personally enters into your broken experiences in life. He's there with you. Those the words to that song are true, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it. He is sovereign over you. So you're not alone as you go through hardships and, and, and sufferings in life. You're not abandoned as you experience great personal loss, and you're not forsaken as you experience discipline from the Lord. But do you believe it? That's the question at the end of the day. Do you believe these things to be true? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Yahweh Elohim is with you and will continue to be with you? He's even with you if you can't see it or believe it in the moment. His presence is there. And we saw an example of this in Gideon's life last week. The Lord comes and enters into uh, Gideon's broken experience. The Lord doesn't come to Gideon just to call him to be a judge who would deliver Israel from the hands of Midian, but he also comes to Gideon to perform a work of grace within Gideon's heart. Because when the Lord first comes to Gideon, he's not ready to be a judge. Because he's in his, his broken places have paralyzed him. And he has three of them. And the Lord has to minister to each of those places in order to bring Gideon to a greater place of faith and trust in him. So he ministers to Gideon's broken experience, which we saw last week. And now this morning he's going to minister to his other two broken places. Here's the word of God. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazrite, which is while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of great courage. And the Lord said to him, and Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us 
saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to Gideon, But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. This is God's word. Please pray with him for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, we don't approach this book as those who don't believe it. We don't treat this text as if it's just any other text. But, Lord, this is the very word of God. This is your very word. There are those outside these walls who who don't believe this, who believe this book is full of lies. This is made up. It's just fantasy. But, Lord, this is not fantasy. This is truth. And Gideon is a real person. He existed. This is history. And so as we come, we need your spirit to, to minister to us, to soften our hearts. Not just, in, just our minds, but we need our hearts to be softened as well. So, Holy Spirit, we cry out to you. We call upon you. You are our helper. You are the one who will lead us into all truth. And we need you to lead us into truth today. Lead me into truth as I preach. Lead the, the folks here into truth as they hear and listen to the preach word. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. If, we can't, we, if you don't move, we don't leave here changed. If you don't move. You have to move in our hearts. Take the word to our broken places and let it change us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In her book, Trauma and Recovery, Judith Herman has a quote from a a combat veteran from the Vietnam War. This combat veteran, he he describes what I call a a crossroads of faith because his broken experience, in the war, rocked his view of God. Basically, his broken experience in the Vietnam War was basically an earthquake to his faith. Maybe a 6.1 in magnitude. It was an earthquake to his faith. And I want you to listen to what this Vietnam veteran says. He says, I could not rationalize in my mind how God let good men die. I couldn't rationalize it. I had gone to several priests And I was sitting there with one priest and said, Father, I don't understand this. How does God allow small children to be killed? What is this war? What is this thing war? I got all these friends who are dead. That priest, he looked at me, he looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know, son. I've never been in war. And I said, I didn't ask you about war. I asked you about God. I didn't ask you about the Vietnam War. I asked you about God. How could he let these things happen? And that's the same question many people ask. That's the same question some of us are asking. And we have asked. How does God, why does God, where is God in the midst of great trial and great suffering and great loss? I'm not talking about the trial. Where is God in the midst of it? Some broken experiences in life will cause you great trauma, 
that will rock your view of God. It can be an earthquake to your faith. It can leave you in shell shock. And you will begin to question everything you thought you knew and understood about him. Your very view of God can be broken because great, some great trauma experiences can do that. Now, I know the super holy, the super spiritual would say that would never happen to me because I'm firm and strong in what I believe. I'm strong and firm in my theology. You may be, but there are certain things that you can go through in life that will rock you, that will make you question, make question things about God. If you ever experience a great loss, it will rock you. It will shake you. And it will make you question things about God. It can lead you to a broken view of God. And the reality is that none of us have a force field around our life. We don't have a shield around our families, our kids, our relationships, our health, our finances, our jobs, our mental health, our material possessions. We can't shield those things from broken experiences. We all can go through it. We all can. I was at the barbershop this week, and my barber was telling me about what happened to his sister-in-law and brother-in-law. His brother-in-law was talking to his sister, his wife, on the phone while she got into a car accident. It was happening on Pulaski Pike and Maston Lake. Happened. His wife, all his kids were in the accident. And over the phone, all he could hear was his wife screaming. Four minutes from his house, he throws the phone down and he goes to the accident. At that moment, at that very moment, if that is you, your life just flashed before your eyes. Now, they survived. They had minor injuries. But that could have ended very badly. And at that moment, if that is you, you will question things about your God. You will. Because none of us are shielded from life. None of us are shielded from brokenness. We're not beyond going through what this combat soldier went through. Our view of God can be broken. And each of us, in different seasons, different periods of our life, we'll spend time in this broken place, like Gideon does. He has a broken view of God. And this is his second place of brokenness. And the Lord is going to enter this broken place with him to bring him to a greater place of faith. Now, God enters Gideon's broken experiences personally. He doesn't send him a text message. He doesn't send him an email. He doesn't send him a Facebook post. He goes to Gideon. He goes to Gideon. He goes to Gideon's front porch in the form of an angel. And the Lord goes without letting him know, because God can God. He can do that. He can come to your house without letting you know. But he comes because he cares. And so he enters Gideon's brokenness. He comes and he sits under this oak tree and, and he watches and observes, get to, observes Gideon beating out wine in the wheat, wheat on the wine press. And then he appears to Gideon, the text says. He appears to him. And he appears to him that you know that the Lord is, again, making himself personally known. He makes his presence known to Gideon. Verse 12 says, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, he speaks to him. Don't look over the fact that the Lord takes the initiative to enter into Gideon's brokenness. And he does the same for you. He comes to you. 
He comes to Gideon in the form of an angel. For you, it could be in the form of a brother or sister. Your elders or your deacons coming to you. So the angel walks closer to Gideon as he beats out the wine in the wine press. He personally draws closer to him. And he's going to meet him in his broken view of God. And it's what the angel says to Gideon that reveals the brokenness. You see, all people have what I call trigger words and trigger phases that trigger certain emotional responses and actions in us. The phrase being politically correct triggers a certain response for some of you. Roll tide triggers a response. Roy Eagle triggers a response. I know it does that because it teams one. The phrase, we have the best interest of the American people in mind, triggers a certain response. The phrase, I don't see a person's color, triggers a response. So we all have triggers, and I have mine. And sometimes these triggers reveal things about us. They reveal sometimes what lies beneath the surface of us. They reveal sometimes what was going on in our heart by the way we respond to them. And for Gideon, it reveals his broken view of God. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon while he's in the ground beating out this wheat. He seemingly appears out of nowhere, and he says to Gideon, Yahweh is with you, O man of great courage. Yahweh is with you, O man of great courage. Gideon is caught off guard by these words. Like some of you are caught off guard when someone says something to you, but you don't think the person is talking to you. And you don't think and you don't believe what the person is saying. You're like, you're talking to me. Yahweh is with me. Are you sure you got the right person? That is Gideon's initial response. Because he says to the angel, with me, sir, with me. You say the Lord is with me. Are you sure you have the right person? Are you sure I'm the right person you should be talking to right now? Because Gideon doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe Yahweh is with him or his people. For Gideon is in a place of unbelief and disbelief. His view of God is broken. And his brokenness spills out in what he says next to the angel. He begins with an if statement. And that statement implies a doubt. He doubts the angel. Gideon says, with me, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if he is with us, then tell me this. Why has all this happened to us? If Yahweh is with us, where are all his wonderful deeds that my forefathers told us, they recounted to us, that he brought us up out of Egypt? If he is still with us, then where is he now? That is what he's saying. Where is he now? And so these questions from Gideon points to his brokenness, their brokenness, and it points to whether or not Yahweh is still with him. And he doesn't believe it. He's confused. Do you see it? He's having a hard time reconciling his broken experience with what his fathers have told him about Yahweh of the past. They've told him he has wonderful deeds. He delivered us from slavery. And forgetting is like, if he did that, then why are we going through this? Why, why are we experiencing this? Where is his faithfulness now? You have to let the people in the Bible be human, like us. They experience the same things that we experience. They're not super saints. They're not robots. They're people who grow through stuff, who experience stuff, who experience loss. 
This brother is in unbelief. He doesn't believe the Lord is with him. If the Lord is with us, then none of these things should be happening to us. If he's with us. Seven years of being in the hands of the Midianites. Seven years of it. Seven years of them coming and taking all of our crops and all of our livestock. Seven years of us having to hide food in caves. Can you imagine that? You having to hide food in caves and mountains? Seven years of beating out wheat in a wine press? A wine press is not meant for that. But that's how bad things are. Seven years of a community, community-wide loneliness and oppression. Seven years of it. And then the angel of the Lord comes and says, Yahweh is with you. What do you believe if that's you? What do you believe? If you're going through something for seven years and out of nowhere, this angel says, Yahweh is with you. Do you believe it at that moment? You won't because your experience says something otherwise. Where are all his wonderful deeds? Gideon says to the angel. It's a good question. Because from Gideon's point of view, those wonderful deeds of Yahweh are just stories of the past. Yes, he delivered our people from Egypt. But I haven't seen any of that these past seven years. I haven't seen it. And Gideon is saying, my experience is proof that Yahweh is not with us. It's proof. Our hardship, our suffering is proof that he's not with us anymore. So Gideon is like this Vietnam veteran. How could God deliver us from slavery, from Egypt, now allow us to be in the hands of Midian? How could it be? Have you asked those questions? Some brokenness can rock you, your God. It can make you question everything you thought you knew about him. You'll begin to doubt whether or not he's with you. Your view of God can be broken. And your broken places in life can do this. And that's the case from Gideon. And Gideon draws this conclusion from his experience. He tells the angel, but now Yahweh has forsaken us. He has given us into the hands of Midian. That's his theology. That's his view of God at this moment. He has forsaken us. He has forever given us into the hands of Midian. That's a bad view. That's not correct. That's a broken view of God. But I understand where he's at. He believes Yahweh is no longer faithful to Israel. He has abandoned them. He has let them go. He has washed his hands of them. He has given up on them. He has thrown them into the hands of Midian forever. He has left them alone. I can sympathize with this. I'm not indifferent to what he's going through. What about you? What about you? Do you understand where he's at? And that you can be there too. You say, well, I've never been there, but you haven't lost something that's very important to you yet. Because if you lose that, you will be there. It will challenge you. It will rock you. Your view of God. And God understands. It's free to come to church and say, you know what? I don't understand God. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't understand how these things are. It's okay to say that. That's just being real. It's okay to say, I don't believe he's with me right now. Because that's just showing you, this is where you are. You're hurting. 
You're in a broken place. And the Lord knows it. He isn't clueless to Gideon's broken places. He's not clueless to your broken places. He knows you. Believer or non-believer, he knows you. He knows where you are. He knows that Gideon feels the way that he feels. He knows that the people of Israel feel like he has forsaken them. He knows they feel that. He knows that they misunderstand the discipline that he's given to them because of their unrepentant idolatry. A good parent doesn't discipline their kids and then mock them as they are hurting. A parent who disciplines their kids and laughs at them as they hurt, that's not a good parent. That's an evil parent. Yahweh doesn't jump down Gideon's throat when he asks these questions, does he? He doesn't say, well, you, des- you know why you're going through this? Because of what you did. You deserve what you get. Does he say that to Gideon? No. He lets Gideon vent. He lets Gideon t- say how he feels. And then the Lord's actions, that he does something compassionate and loving to Gideon. Verse 14 says, Yahweh turns to Gideon. Do you notice the change in the subject? In that verse. Notice the change. When the Lord first comes on the scene, it says, the angel of the Lord speaks. The angel of the Lord appeared in verses 11 and 12. But now, in verse 14, Yahweh is a subject. Yahweh turns to him. I believe this is communicating a deeper personal presence of Yahweh. Because remember, Gideon is calling to question Yahweh's goodness. That's what he's doing. He's calling the question Yahweh's faithfulness and Yahweh's character. So now Yahweh personally meets him in that brokenness. He turns to Gideon. And that nonverbal action communicates so much because it's saying that Yahweh is facing him face to face, eye to eye. It's a turn of compassion. It's a turn of embrace. It's a turn that I'm still faithful. It's a turn of love. It's a turn of affection. He is saying to Gideon, I see you. I see you. I understand what you're saying, but I have not forsaken my people. I have not abandoned you into the hands of Midian forever. He turns to Gideon like a father turns to the child he just disciplined to remind the child of this. You're still my child and I still love you. That's what that means. That's what good dads do. Because in the moment of discipline, your child does not feel love. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. They don't feel like you love them. And so when you give them and place them on your lap and says, I discipline you because I love you. I love you. You're still my child. I'm still proud of you. You are affirming them. And that's what he's doing to Gideon. I'm affirming you. I have not abandoned you. I'm still here. And he makes that same turn to you in your brokenness. But do you believe it? Or are you in unbelief? Where are you? After Yahweh turns to Gideon, he next calls him to be a judge and commissions him to go save Israel. And Yahweh's call to Gideon, again, it's evidence that he has not forsaken Israel. And has forgotten them. He has not given them into the hands of Midian forever. He, the Lord says, go in this might of yours and save my people from the hands of Midian. Do not I send you. 
that is evidence that he has not forgotten them. But Gideon doesn't interpret it that way. He doesn't have a favorable response to the call and commission from the Lord. It just triggers another broken place in Gideon's life. Because he has a broken view of self. A broken view of self. He, has a, he goes through broken experiences. He has a broken view of God. And he has a broken self-image as well. And his response to the Lord does seem like humility, but it's not. Tim Keller says, humility isn't thinking of yourself less. It's thinking about yourself less. Gideon thinks less of himself because his view of God, is, because his view of self is broken. Many of you here today do not have a healthy self-image. It's broken because of what you've gone through, because of what has happened to you. That's a broken place in your life, but you hide it well from other people because you don't feel like anyone's safe. You can be real about what you're going through. Listen to what Gideon says to the Lord. Please, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. He doesn't believe the Lord can use him. That's what he's saying. The Lord, you can't, he can't use me. I have nothing to offer. You know that feeling. I know that feeling. You believe the same thing. I believe the same thing. I ask the same question. You ask the same question. How can God use me? Look at my life. Look at what I've gone through. Look at who I am. You can't use me. I have nothing to offer. Go pick someone else. You think this and you feel this. You speak this because you don't have a healthy view of who you are. You think less of yourself, and that is not humility. Broken experiences in life can take a toll on your self-image. Gideon gives two reasons why he thinks the Lord has the wrong one, the wrong person. Two reasons why um, he's not going to step out and, and fulfill the call that God has called him. Listen to it. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. He's telling the Lord, I'm from the poorest, lowest, and most broken group of people. You, we, it, there's nothing good in here in my tribe. We're the weakest of, in all the tribes here. So that's one strike against me. And second strike is, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the youngest. I'm the pro- in that culture, the oldest child got all the benefits. That's just the culture they were in. They got all their inheritance, went to the oldest child. And Gideon said, I'm the least. So I'm the lowest on the priority pole at my father's house. And now you're saying you're going to use me to deliver the people from the hands of Midian? You got the wrong one. I'm not the one. I take these words to mean that his view of himself is so low that he feels that he's disqualified for the call, for the commission. He lacks confidence. He lacks strength. He lacks courage. He's, he's fearful. He has doubts. He has a broken view of self. And so the question is, how does the Lord enter into this particular broken place of Gideon? He doesn't deny Gideon's words. He doesn't deny anything that he says. Gideon's assessment is probably true. His tribe is probably is the, broken, the most broken tribe there. But his assessment and his view of his assessment, his view of his family, his view of his, his group, his people group, 
has somehow wounded his own self-image. I don't understand how, but it has. And how does the Lord enter into this? He does. He enters into this particular broken place the same way he's been doing the other two, the same way he entered into his other broken places. You see, there are bookends to getting in three broken places, to his broken experience, to his broken view of God, to his broken view of self. The bookends are the gracious truth that he doesn't believe. And the Lord has been expressing this throughout these verses. Verse 1, the first bookend is in verse 12. Yahweh is with you. The second bookend is in verse 16. But I will be with you. Yahweh is with him in the present tense. Yahweh will be with him in the future tense. Those are the bookends to your life. The bookends to your brokenness. That Yahweh is with you. Your, your, your life is in between those bookends. He's sovereign over you. The bookends of your brokenness is that the fact that Yahweh is with you and will be with you forever. He's sovereign over you. The words Yahweh is with you means this. He is with you with his presence. He is with you with his power. He is with you with his promises. But do you believe it? The three P's of his existence with you, his presence, his power, his promises are with you. Those are the bookends of your life. That's what it means for him to be with you, to be sovereign over you. He has you. and You have to believe that. Do you? Will you? The Lord wants Gideon to believe that he's with him in those three ways, in his brokenness. You can't press forward in the midst of brokenness if you don't believe the Lord is with you. You won't suffer persecution well if you don't believe the Lord is with you. You won't suffer loss well if you believe the Lord has abandoned you. You have to believe that he is with you in the fire. That ain't just a song. That is real life. Do you believe it? You have to have faith in your broken places. Believe that Yahweh is with you in his presence, his power, and his promises. You see, all the good things Gideon is going to do and be as a judge happens because Yahweh is with him. And when he believes that, it changes him. It takes him to a greater place of faith. In verse 12, Gideon is called a mighty man of great courage. That's what the angel calls him. In verse 14, he is told to go out in this might of yours and save Israel. Then in verse 16, he is told, you should strike the Midianites as one man. I hope you realize that none of those things are going to happen because of who he is. None of those promises are going to happen because of Gideon's power, because of Gideon's strength, and because of Gideon's promises. He's going to be a mighty man of great courage because Yahweh is with him to give him the courage. The might that he's going to go out in is Yahweh's might. With Yahweh's promises, Yahweh's power, and Yahweh's presence. That's his strength, and that's your strength. And he's going to strike the Midianites as one man because Yahweh said, I will be with you. And when you go out, you go out with my power, my presence, and my promises with you. And you have that same thing. Do you believe it is the question. Do you believe it? 
or are you in unbelief? The good news is that you can repent if you're in unbelief. When you truly believe the Lord is with you in your broken places, you can step out in courageous faith. Without believing that, you won't ever step out. You will always play it safe. You will always play it safe. But when you believe he's with you, you will step out in the hardness of life because you know you're not alone. You have a God that's on your side, a God who isn't silent, a God who isn't absent from your life, a God who personally comes to your front porch and comes into your house and meets with you. Yahweh is a personal God, not a clockmaker sitting in heaven who detached from his world. He is personal, and he's personal in your life. And the greatest example of that is the cross. Remember, we have what Gideon doesn't have. We have the New Testament. The greatest evidence of Yahweh's being with us is Jesus, Emmanuel. God doesn't forsake you in your brokenness. Because you already forsake Jesus on the cross. You gotta keep these things in perspective. He's he's already forsaken him in your place. And again, I always tell you this Jesus didn't die for friends, he died for enemies. He didn't die for friends, he didn't die for his homeboys or his homegirls or his BFFs. He died for enemies. Please know that before you came to before when you were lost in sin, you was not Jesus BFF. You were his enemy. That's who you were. Because of his great love for his enemies, he died for you on the cross. And that's the that's the greatest evidence that God has not forsaken his people. And so if you're here and you're still lost and you don't know Jesus then you will continue to be lost until you find him. And finding Jesus isn't doing a whole bunch of religious stuff. It ain't going to church just to go to church. It's do you have saving faith in him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Not being a Christian culturally, because that's what we do in the South, but have you surrendered your life to him in faith? If you notice anything about Israel, that throughout their history, they, they always recounted the Exodus. No matter, what, no matter what they told about their history, that was always going to be part of it. They always told of the Exodus. Yahweh brought us up out of Egypt. Hope you realize the cross is our Exodus. You better never forget it. The cross is your Exodus. So when you're down in the dumps, remember the cross. When you feel like God has forsaken you, you better remember the cross. Because the cross says, that is not true. When you're experiencing great loss, remember the cross. When you're depressed and you're down, you feel you're alone, remember the cross. Because the cross is evident. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. That is our exodus. And we got to forever remember it. That he brought you straight out of sin. Through the death of his son. I found me a new favorite hymn that I'm going to have Waikita someone sing for me when I go to glory. 
It says, abide with me. Fast fall the evening tide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. He will and he does abide with you to the very end. Let us pray. Father, I praise you that you will forever abide with your people. I know sometimes it's hard as, as believers in our time to connect with the saints in the Old Testament. It's hard for us to, to see and in, 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 in just relate to what they've gone through just because the, the cultures and life are so different. But your word is still, Lord, applicable to all of us, no matter what book of the Bible it is. And the truth that you're communicating to Gideon is you're with him. You're with him. You're with Israel still. And I pray for us in our time as believers in in America that we would know that you are with us. No matter what happens, no matter what befalls us, that you would never forsake your people. Even in the midst of great suffering and great loss, you have us. For you are truly, 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 truly sovereign over us in wonderful and great ways. I pray, Lord, for those who are here who may not know you, that you, Holy Spirit, would draw them closer and bring them to a place where they see that great need of Jesus. I pray for those who are here who know you, who are struggling, that you would meet them in their brokenness and bring them to a greater place of faith. Help them to believe that your presence, your power, your promises are forever given to them in Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.